Welcome to the AWS Health Innovation Podcast, where you can learn from entrepreneurs and investors who are driving progress in healthcare and life science across the globe. My name is Joe Schunkweiler. I'm a physician and former health tech executive. And my name is Alex Merwin. I'm an operations executive who's worked at two startups that exited as unicorns. And now Joe and I work with healthcare and life science startups and investors at AWS. Today, I'm joined by Andrew I, CEO and co-founder of Closed Loop a company giving providers, payers, and value-based care organizations the ability to make accurate, explainable, and actionable predictions of individual-level health risks. And Amanda Goltz, leader of the AWS Accelerator focused on health equity. This is the third and final episode in our mini-season featuring startups addressing health equity. Andrew and Amanda share how the AWS Accelerator supports healthcare startups, how the aims of health equity align with value-based care, and why Andrew believes local data is so essential to building powerful, unbiased predictive models in healthcare. Enjoy. Andrew I and Amanda Goltz, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Joe. Good to be here. Andrew, I'd love to start out learning a bit about Closed Loop and what you all do. Sure. Broadly, Closed Loop is an AI and machine learning company focused in the healthcare space. The simple way we like to describe it, the tagline around here is we predict the future so you can change it. And you is the doctors, the clinicians, the nurses. It's also the patients. So we work in machine learning and artificial intelligence to predict adverse health events before they happen so that the frontline clinicians and patients can actually do something to change those adverse events. And just as a follow-up to that, it sounds like you're selling to folks and providing a product across the healthcare value chain. Is that accurate? So providers, payers, all of the above? Yeah, that's right. So a lot of the use cases we focus on, again, are about adverse health events. And so predicting unplanned hospitalizations to drive who should get enrolled in a chronic care management program. There's a variety of different use cases, but yes, we work with payers, uh, providers, particularly value-based providers, but also traditional fee-for-service folks. We work in the pharma industry, uh, work with self-insured employers, uh, anywhere across that healthcare spectrum where you want to identify adverse events before they happen. And Amanda, we're doing something slightly different today on the podcast as part of this, this mini season focused on health equity. And I wanted you to join us because Closed Loop is part of the recent cohort for the AWS Healthcare Accelerator that's focused on health equity. And, and, and you've been leading in that effort. Can you tell us a bit about the Accelerator? Absolutely. Thanks, Joe, for having me on and for giving me the chance to share the Accelerator with your audience. So the AWS Healthcare Accelerator is an ongoing program that furthers our team's mission, and we're very close to Joe and his team as well. So we share this, but what we're trying to do is drive forward innovation in healthcare, specifically for the types of organizations that we work with, academic hospitals and medical centers, not-for-profit health systems, state and local governments, and federal health agencies. And we help them adopt innovation by running the Accelerator Program, which is a selection of 10 companies that we think have great potential, organized around a focus area, and we give them just a ton of support. What's Amazon good at? Making small things big, right? So we take startups that are somewhat mature on their journey. They have a great concept, a defined product. It's been deployed in a patient population or in a member population. And they're looking for that next big phase deployment that's really going to scale them. 
and we try to deliver that. So we provide AWS support, technical and business mentorship, strategy, operation, and capital use guidance, case examples of other startups and how they made it, um, peer-to-peer roundtables, ongoing one-to-one mentors, and a whole host of other things throughout a four-week program. This most recent accelerator was focused on health equity because it's a real priority for us here at AWS Healthcare Startups and as it is for everyone. And it was so hard to choose this cohort. As you can tell from hearing Andrew talk about Closed Loop, we had some spectacular companies, Closed Loop among them in the cohort. Psyched to feature them today. If I may put in a plug, anybody can go to the AWS Public Sector blog, check out all 10 companies that were in the AWS Healthcare Accelerator focused on health equity. I encourage everyone to check out their missions. They're all very different. They're all completely and entirely focused on closing gaps in care, eliminating disparities in care, and improving access, health equity, and justice. And it was a real honor to support those startups in the program. Great. We can link to that in the show notes too, so folks can see that blog post. I mentioned at the top that we are, we're doing this series on health equity, which is why we wanted to pull you both into this. Andrew, I'd love to hear how you've seen this evolution in the discussion of health equity and what are some of the most pressing challenges that, that you've seen out there as a startup founder tackling this among many other things out in the space? Yeah. When you think about how folks actually get access to care, how they interact with the healthcare system. Yeah, I think one of the biggest mega trends in the last 10 years has been the shift from a fee-for-service model, where the sicker you are, the more money everybody makes, um, to a value-based care model. And if you back up 10 years ago, most of the folks starting to participate in value-based care weren't making money, right? Only one in three accountable care organizations was actually generating shared savings. When you fast forward to now, 80% of organizations participating in value-based care programs are generating shared savings. And so we've seen that value-based care is working. And yet there hadn't been this explicit emphasis on health equity and having real financial motivation to focus on health equity as a part of that mega trend. And one of the biggest developments just in the last you know, year or so has been the ACO REACH program evolving out of the DCE program, direct contracting program, and I was so pleased to see this emphasis on health equity plans as the ACO REACH program is launching next year. For me, that policy change and aligning financial motivations with the altruistic motivations of kind of the industry as a whole, people don't get into healthcare because they want to hurt anybody, right? They're not getting into healthcare because they're trying to take advantage of any particular group, but getting those interests aligned financially as well is really putting kind of more focus on it. So I think that's been the biggest change I've seen, not only the discussion, but at a policy, a tangible level. How has the technology, the tech stack underlying this, how has that helped advance our ability to tackle the thorny issue here? Yeah, so I have a particular kind of area of focus when we talk about how is the technology applicable, particularly with health equity. One of the first things is just being able to kind of uh, actually look at the analytics of how are the various programs that I'm running, particularly proactive care. The shift to value-based care really emphasize, let's not wait for people to get so sick they show up at the hospital. Let's emphasize proactive care, particularly for the people who need our help the most, right? People with multiple chronic diseases, the people who are more elderly, folks maybe with behavioral health or mental health issues. And so when you look at where are the biggest levers to really bend the cost curve, it's in these populations in most need, right? So just being able to spot 
are these proactive programs that we're running, whether it's chronic care management, case management, free Uber rides to address barriers to care like transportation, whatever our program is, is it being distributed equitably, right? And so the first question is just, are the right people getting the right resources retrospectively? When we talk about artificial intelligence and machine learning, that's the area we focus on. There's been a lot of discussion, and rightly so, on the risk stratification tools that are used to identify people for whom these interventions might be most effective. And technology can help because it can help us evaluate, are we helping the people who need our help the most? But if we're not careful, it can also hurt, right? As we've seen, Zayed Obermeyer out of the University of Chicago published kind of the quintessential study on this where they demonstrated that people of color needed to be sicker than white mm. people in order to get enrolled in these proactive programs. And so I think it's really uncovering. We've got to look at issues like bias and fairness, particularly in predictive algorithms, uh, if we want to get this right and really help the people that we intend to help. Amanda, I'd love to hear your thoughts from the view of the accelerator and how AWS is helping support the folks that are tackling this. Is Clearly, we are both at AWS, which is in the technology space, but I, where does tech fit here in, in solving these problems? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think we're all still learning and potentially overcorrecting from an era when we felt that tech could solve all these problems and then realize, as has been said before, culture eats strategy for breakfast. And no matter how well-meaning we all are in applying our tech tools, they weren't getting the job done without a proper attendant to clinical workflow or how tasks are expected to be completed once a signal is generated, or how we're gonna even track and benchmark outcomes in new processes that none of us have ever tried before. So we're all learning, but to those three functions that I just mentioned, AWS can be helpful. So we have a, a range of, you know, in my uh, sort of healthcare orientation rather than deep techie software engineer orientation, I call them DIY tools. So we have an AI tool called SageMaker where you can build your own algorithm for sorting through data and surfacing insights. So it's not AWS identifies the care disparity and you fix it. It's how do we help startups who have much vaster expertise in identifying what needs to be done just as Andrew articulated about being successful in a value-based arrangement and help give those organizations the tools so they do it themselves. So we're hoping that approach will enable uh, startups to, to not just refine and advance their products, but further align with what an actual hospital or academic center or State Department of Health or military health services needs to get it done. We also have a, an interesting angle on the accelerator where we can be of assistance in the data integration, which is where a lot of fantastic startup ideas and the most well-meaning healthcare organization with a ton of stuff on their plate, not to mention saving lives, where sometimes innovation projects or pilots can fall through the gap. So we say, okay, startup, if you're built and architected well on AWS and healthcare organizational customer, if you're also on AWS and storing your data in the cloud, we can do some of the help. We can actually help with those integration points. We can help you surface the data that you need to so that you can actually leverage the startup's tools. And for me, having worked 25 years in, in healthcare innovation from the inside, inside the payer, purchaser, provider, pharma, trying to pull it in, that is a, a, a very sort of underestimated lift there. 
uh, what it takes for a hospital to work with a startup to really push their data up to the surface where it needs to be consumed. So it's just a smattering. There's a lot more to explore in AWS, but it's you can see that I'm I'm kind of practical minded about this stuff. How can we be really useful in getting the innovation to scale? And we leave it entirely to the startups to have the great ideas. Andrew, what about the other side of the table? Investors are critical to the ecosystem in empowering this innovation. And what can investors do? What should they be thinking about from your perspective as a CEO founder to further health equity out among startups that are looking to solve these problems? Yeah, I think there's a little bit of conscious capitalism required here, right? I think what particularly, again, much of the investment that's going into kind of the industry as a whole, but healthcare specifically right now is focused around these technologies of artificial intelligence and machine learning, right? I always like to say, if you step back and imagine 10 years from now, can you imagine a world in which we are not better using all of our healthcare data to inform healthcare decisions every day, right? We know how good AI is from our consumer lives because the ads that are surfaced to us are so good, we think somebody must be spying on us, right? right. And so when you know that that's the power of the technology, it is coming to healthcare. And the only question isn't if, it's just when, right? And so when you ask the question about investors, there's so much money pouring into artificial intelligence and machine learning. But I think we specifically need to focus in the investment community on these issues of bias and fairness, right? So are the algorithms, are these kind of technologies that we're developing disproportionately affecting one group or another, right? But the good thing about this is for investors, this is not a question of should I do good or should I do well, right? Uh, if you want a surefire way to tank an AI or machine learning company, a great way to do that is to end up in the news as being biased, right? right? And so if you're doing your diligence well, just as a pure capitalist, you need to be focused on, hey, does this company really pass the sniff test? Do they really understand the intricacies of bias and fairness uh, within their approach to artificial intelligence and machine learning? And I think you see this emphasized in a variety of places. The CMS AI Challenge is a great example where Senator Booker wrote into the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services and said, hey, Great that you're running this big $1.6 million X prize, but we don't see any bullet points here for issues of bias and fairness. And so in the final rounds of that contest, they actually responded to that and said, yeah, no, we expect all the respondents to be addressing these issues. Yeah, that that really hits home for me. I had the, the privilege of being a senior staffer in the United States Senate years ago, and it people weren't talking about it as readily. Like we may have been talking about it amongst ourselves, but I don't know if it would have risen at that time to the level of something that you would actually address with CMS, in part because there are so many other policy demands out there, but it's it's heartening to see it rise to the top of those concerns such that someone of the caliber of, of Senator Cory Booker is, is addressing that with CMS with all the other challenges that that are that we're facing at the moment. I'd love to, to take a step back. One of the things we love to explore in this podcast is how the technology meets the moment, meets the founding team. And Andrew, I'd love to hear more about your own background and how you came to found Closed Loop, what you saw out in the marketplace that you thought you and your team were the ones to address it. Yeah, it's interesting. If anybody does any LinkedIn stalking, you're going to find out that my background was not in healthcare. I was a technologist that started and sold two tech companies previously. 
uh, one in the information security space, one in the consumer mobile space. And so naturally, what do you do after you start an InfoSec company and a consumer mobile company? You, you drop everything and you start a health IT company. Right. Um, now the, Classic the, the short version of that, right. The short version of that is my co-founder made me do it. Dave DiCaprio had been working in, in uh, predictive analytics, machine learning for healthcare for 20 years. I wanted to work with him. But really where this became personal for me um, was about six months into us founding the company when my youngest daughter got sick. She's fine now, but Kelly had gotten really sick. We had taken her to the doctor. They sent us to Dell Children's. We see a pediatric gastroenterologist and they say, hey, Andrew, did you notice your daughter's yellow? Hmm. And I said, no, I thought she was tan. It's the middle of the summer. And they said, no, she's severely jaundiced and she's got a liver that's 10 centimeters bigger than it's supposed to be. Fast forward three weeks later, we're going for tests every day, you know, three times a week, blood drawn. And finally, I say to the doctor, hey, doc, how much longer do we have? And he said, you got about two more weeks. And then we're talking about a liver transplant. Oh, my. But what we learned through that diagnostic odyssey, Kelly finally, uh, after about four weeks, was finally diagnosed with autoimmune hepatitis. She's fine now. But what we learned through that process was Nobody ever said, hey, Andrew, can you get me a copy of all your electronic health records? Can you get me all your past medical claims for you and your grandparents and your parents, right? None of that health history was used in diagnosing what's wrong with her. That's the golden opportunity for everyone, right? So the, the why for me, you know, that, that's the personal story for me. But the great thing about this industry is there's everybody can relate. Everybody's had some story like this where you say, gosh, can't we be doing more? Shouldn't you be using more information? And, and we all know it's going to work. It's just a question of when. What are some of the most compelling use cases that you've found specifically for closed loop to address some of those challenges? I'd, I'd love to be working on autoimmune hepatitis. <laughs> of Unfortunately, course, yeah. um, you, you know, it's a rare disease. And, and so it, this is not the biggest financial impact, right? We can't work on all of the long tail problems there's the bigger kind of financial problems that we've got to start with. And so some of those use cases really start with basic things like, can we spot someone who's going to be so sick that they get admitted to the hospital before they're admitted? Unplanned hospitalizations, right? Can we predict readmissions so we can spot folks who are getting discharged from the hospital, but make sure they get transitioned to the right kind of level of care. But then it also gets to very specific kind of chronic diseases. So things like chronic kidney disease, right? Can we spot somebody who's likely to have emergency initiated dialysis, meaning they're going to end up in the hospital getting dialysis for the first time. That's $50,000 more expensive per patient than if they get that same treatment in an outpatient setting. So you get worse outcomes, more infections, higher costs, et cetera, right? If we can just spot those people early and get them referred to a nephrologist, there's huge opportunity for better outcomes and huge savings to the system, which impacts all of us. So those are a handful. Yeah, there are dozens of these, but the, the issue right now is everybody in the industry is trying to reinvent the same wheel. You look around and everybody's building a readmissions prediction. The challenge is you've got to leverage all the data that's available for any given organization to build the best readmissions predictor for them because they've got a different population with different data streams available. Every organization has a different data footprint. And so if you can't build a bespoke predictive model for that organization, you're missing out on the predictive signal that's there, right? That's available in that data. So that's the message that we preach all day, every day. 
And how do you maximize the utility of an organization's existing data? Because in our previous discussions and what I've learned about closed loop over the last few years, that seems like one of the most compelling value propositions that we are going to, and correct me if I'm wrong, like you're going to come in and help you better understand what's happening there using the, yeah. the best in class technology to do that. Yeah. You know, one of the kind of misnomers in this world of kind of artificial intelligence and machine learning, people think he who has the most data wins. So you see all of these kind of models that are out there, people who are pushing these things. Oh my gosh, like we're, our predictive model was trained on 40 billion people, right? It's like, okay, great. That's 40 billion people that aren't my patients. And so if you're talking about things like MRIs, there's only a couple of MRI machines. They all produce the same images. Having more images is really valuable. So sometimes he who has the most data wins. When we're talking about trying to leverage the unique data footprint of a given hospital or payer, right? You wanna be able to take that unique data for that unique population to build that bespoke predictive model, right? So two big things that we focus on. One is like, if you wanna approach artificial intelligence we believe vertical solutions are really key. You've got to know the data, right? You can't come in saying, what's an ICD-10 code, right. right? You can't come in saying, what's, G you know, what's GPI? So you've got to come in with a knowledge of the data. You've got to develop content that is reusable across use cases, but you've got to be able, when it comes to the model, you've got to be able to train on a local population and leverage all of the data streams that are available to get the highest predictive value. That's what you're really after high predictive value and great explainability so that clinicians are really willing to act on those insights that you're servicing. And does that ability feed right into the value-based care modeling? My, having done some of that work previously, I know that it's not just, can you impact the course of disease such that you improve health and save costs downstream? It's, can you pull forward the, the, prediction element for that and know who's going to cost money, get sick, all those things that are going to help improve the cost. So is that is that where you fit into that value-based care value chain? Yeah. So we talk a lot about value-based care and just about kind of population health use cases, because when I look at kind of what's the major macro problem in the U.S. healthcare system, it's pretty simple. We spend too much money to get worse outcomes, right? Everybody's aware of this. So the biggest problem to solve, it's not the only problem to solve, but one of the biggest problems to solve is how do we get in front of these people who are really sick before they're sick? And guess what? That's good not only for kind of financial outcomes, but it's great for, human, you know, for, for us as human beings, right? We'd all like to be less sick. So yes, the two ways that kind of what we're talking about here really impacts value-based care. Again, I go back to this tagline, right? We predict the future so you can change it. Predicting the future, the unsexiest way to think about this is like, you got to sort a spreadsheet. You got 100,000 patients in your population, but you can only afford to reach out to the top 3%. So what ends up happening in all these pop health tools and everything, there's some portion of a population that are going to get a proactive outreach. They're going to get prioritized scheduling for a PCP visit. They're going to get enrollment in a chronic care management program. They're going to get free grab rails installed in their shower so that they don't fall. There's all these interventions that are proactive, but we can't give them to everyone. So sorting the spreadsheet, and it's oversimplification, but sorting the list of patients by most likely to have an adverse event 
that's how you target these interventions to the people who really need them, right? You've got to be able to predict who's going to have the adverse events. You can target these programs that we know are effective. So the first right. is predicting the future, target interventions. The second piece is all about helping customers assess the efficacy of their interventions. So many of these programs that we're doing in kind of proactive care, things like chronic care management, these are multifaceted, very complex programs. It's not just we're making phone calls. It's we're making phone calls. We're doing home site visits. We're doing health assessments. We're, there's many steps that are involved. And so it's really difficult for a lot of folks who are just entering this space and even folks who've been at this for a long time to tell, is their intervention actually having an impact on the outcomes that they're interested in? So we predict the future. That's all about sorting that spreadsheet. And then so you can change it. It's all about helping to analyze, is there actually a financial impact for the programs that we're running? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the having those two elements together as the value-based care landscape continues to mature become even more important because you have more entrants who want to leverage more of their data to do more and head off more high-cost, high-impact diseases, enter people into more programs. As this becomes more mature and people realize you can save money, improve outcomes, they want to do more. And if you want to do more, you need to leverage your data more effectively and efficiently in a way that allows you to do that. So I feel like you're living right at the nexus of how you can do it effectively now, but how you can do it better moving forward, thinking through all those elements that come into play. Yeah. The bar gets moved every year, right? Like they're moving the goalposts every mm -hmm. year because the truth is we've got to, right? We've got to get better outcomes. It's when you start off in these programs and it's just a, you know, uh, uh, upside only in the risk-based contracts, right? Like, hey, if I win, great, I make extra money. But if I didn't have an impact, then I don't lose, right? The shift is now to full risk, right? And so right. the key here is if, if you're just playing the game a few years ago, of, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, you know, increase my margins or impact my bottom line by better coding, right? And, you know, I'm going to focus only on reimbursement, trying to drive more revenue. Well, that works for a while. But at the end of the day, like we have to drive down the total cost of care. That's the fundamental problem in the industry. So if you're not getting good at this now, and I'll tell you all the winners in value-based care, every winner in every program, whether it's, you know, the, uh, whether it's Medicare shared savings or it's ACO reach program or DCE or Medicare advantage, Literally everyone, all the winners in value-based care, all of them are using machine learning and artificial intelligence to target their programs because they know like the bar gets moved, the goalpost gets moved every year as that baseline changes. I think that's one of the key messages is this is not next year's technology. This isn't five years from now. And, you know, people are using this right now, but it's real simple. It's just to target interventions and it's just to sort that spreadsheet. Right. And back to the, the theme on health equity. You can't have blind spots as you do that. It's about, you said it before in terms of the investment thesis, doing good and doing well at the same time. You need to understand where all those potential bad outcomes and pockets of illness and cost are baked. And that goes across all the socioeconomic statuses and, and, and backgrounds in your patient population. It behooves you to have a really firm understanding of every little moving part that's happening in your attributed population. Yeah. You know, I'll tell you, it's real simple. If you want to have a more accurate model, if you want to have more accurate predictions of the future, focus on eliminating bias in your algorithms. Bias is bringing down your overall accuracy.
As we close here, I love to leave our listeners with some advice, something they can take away. And Amanda, I'd love to come back to you for the startup founders, entrepreneurs, investors, everyone out there. How should they be thinking about being involved with things like AWS accelerators, future cohorts, things like that? What's the best way to learn about it? And how do they prepare for that, that possibility? Great question. Thanks. And not to dodge it, but I do want to uh, just put in a quick uh, mention of something that I learned from Andrew and uh, the Closed Loop team and the other startups in the cohort, which is a message that resonates really well with the healthcare organizations that we're trying to, to bring these solutions to. And they've been told they need to do equity. Some of them even put out an annual equity report. Everybody's kind of scratching the surface, as we've mentioned in this call. And we risk being at that moment where we're beating them over the head that equity is important without giving them easy, practical, tactical ways to achieve those equity goals. And as Andrew mentioned, the goalposts keep moving. So what goals are we even trying to achieve? And one of the messages that resonates with healthcare organizations undergoing this transformation is that they will, they've struggled, they've not been successful in uh, sprinkling equity on the, on the end of the cake, like frosting. <laughs> it has to be baked into the recipe from the beginning. Right. So if they look at look at it as an operational imperative, as part of population health management, as part of risk identification and adjustment, as part of contracting, and less of like this separate siloed thing that they do on the side, it's going to kind of naturally take organic form as as the disparities and the gaps close. So I learned that, and I, I thought I would pass it along because I think it's a it's a very um, resonant message, no matter which part of the challenging equity problem you're trying to solve. Now, to go back and answer your question, I think the easiest way um, to keep track of what we're doing is, I mentioned our blog before, we're going to put in the, the link there, which will be really helpful. Everybody uh, who has attended the health conference, um, there was a big announcement there uh, that I referenced. Uh, please reach out to any of us here at AWS. Uh, Joe, I welcome you putting my contact information and sharing it with your listeners uh, to keep abreast of the next uh, focus areas for our accelerator and how they can get connected with our startup programs. Any of us are happy to be a resource for you. We take a very, who are you and how can we help approach um, rather than a funnel you all into this one sort of on-ramp approach. So uh, very happy to connect with anyone who's looking for how AWS can help. Fantastic. Yeah. Stay tuned for that. And uh, you can find more information on that in the social media and show notes that that accompany this podcast. And and Andrew, I'd like to give you the final word here. I We hear a lot about AI, machine learning. It's transitioned, I think, from being something that was purely like a buzzword or buzz phrase that shows up everywhere to something that has real impact on businesses and verticals across the world. But as a founder and as somebody that is in the space now, what advice do you have for the people who are coming up thinking, I want to do the next big thing of AI in healthcare, whatever that looks like, whatever the space, how do they cut through the noise and really latch on to the signal here to build an impactful business? What should they be thinking about? Yeah, I, I think the first thing that comes to mind is don't reinvent the wheel. I think if you look around at the tools that are available, this field has progressed so much in the last five years. And if your starting point is, hey, I'm going to grab a Jupyter notebook and some, some open source tools and that's it, and I'm going to build everything from scratch, man, you are, you've got a long road to hoe. 
right? And so I just encourage folks to look around. Lots of companies in the healthcare space are not just technology, they're tech-enabled service. And so the ability to say, hey, I've got real nurses or case managers or, or clinicians of whatever type that are going to be paired with my technology, gosh, you don't want to be building that tech from scratch, right? And so I just encourage folks to look around for those kind of higher order tools that they can use as a building block for a larger solution, right? Andrew I, CEO and co-founder of Closed Loop and Amanda Goltz, lead for the AWS Healthcare Accelerator focused on health equity. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Joe. Great seeing you. Thanks, Joe. If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave us a review and rating. It helps others find us. To learn more about how AWS supports startups, please go to aws.amazon.com startups.